We are in our journey through scripture over the last 17 years, finding ourselves in that time in history where uh, the, uh, the, the authors of the New Testament are closing out some letters. Their lives are coming to a close. Some of them will write that in their letters. Uh, and so it's sort of this, this final run of the important things that are being unpacked and written to the churches of that time. And this is Peter's second letter to the churches that he has influence and leadership over. And in this letter, as he's writing it, uh, it is a letter that he's kind of getting down to the super important, simple last things. And what has he said? He has said, look, since I don't have much time left, I'm aware of that. Here's what I'm going to spend my time doing. I'm going to remind you of who Jesus is. I'm going to remind you of what he's done. And I'm going to remind you of who you are because of that. And out of that clarity of seeing fully, or at least more fully, as our capacity allows, the wonder and beauty and power and majesty and goodness and kindness and mercy and grace and, 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 and just everything of Jesus that you, if you are a thinking wise person on any level would say, if this is how good he is, if this is who he is, and this is what he's done for me, for us, and this is who I, we are now because of him, then the only logical thing would be to follow his ways, his leading, his direction, his stuff, because what kind of a God, a king would be that good and then tell us stuff that's not good for us? So if I perceive that something he says won't go as well as something I perceive I should do, I would be a fool to trust me over him once I know how good he is. So what Peter is saying is, let's spend all of our time talking about how good he is, how awesome he is, how merciful, how wondrous, how powerful, how righteous he is, so that we would not forget. That's the letter that we're in. And Peter did exactly that, right? He started the letter out by once again going, here's Jesus, wow, God is good. And then what did he say in response to that? Man, live your lives in accordance with the values, the principles, the truths of God's kingdom and the values, the principles, the truths of our King, God, Jesus. Live according to that because his way is fruitful. His way is freedom. His way is life. And our way, whenever it is opposed to anything in his way is bondage and it is darkness and it is death. And then remember what he said? So those of us who know this person, Jesus, and have his spirit and choose to live our way, we are so nearsighted, we are blind. And he's kind of saying, wake up, wake up. That's where he's been at. And then he went through this whole thing, as you know, about how we live this out. And we are now in the section where he's saying, one of the things that you need to be watchful over if you are going to engage in a wise life of following this good king, because you know who he is, you know what he's done, and you know who you are because of him, you're going to do that now. You should watch out for people who are going to teach things that are opposed to the gospel. 
And sometimes those people will teach things out of God's word, but they will manipulate, turn, twist, add, subtract to them so that though a truth is brought, it is, it is twisted enough that it's not a truth anymore. We call these false teachers. And, and Peter is saying, watch out for the false teachers and, and, and pay attention to where that runs because you do not want to buy into truths that are not of our king and not of, our, of his kingdom, right? And so just recently, in the most recent endeavor, he is speaking directly in this context to an idea that has emerged from these false teachers that God uh, is not going to return and, and there's not going to be a judgment. So what is happening now, if you're doing things and it's going well, then keep doing them. Don't worry so much about the consequences. And also it lends itself this idea that there is no judgment coming. There is no uh, different end game. It lends itself to this. Those of us that are doing it God's way, and because we are, we are under persecution, hostility, or just the circumstances don't go so well. That, is this how it goes? I do it God's way and then I don't get the good things in life? Where is God in this? Is he silent? And what Peter's going to show the church he's writing to, the churches he's writing to, to us, is this. God is in every way, shape, or form, in any space, always, king and sovereign and involved and present and sees all and is always, listen now, always going to bring about justice. That is always the end game. It may seem long for you or me. It may seem like a lifetime, but what he's gonna say is there is no version of this story when it comes to its end, that every injustice is made just, every pain made, made well, every tear removed, every suffering gone. He's not just going to like, let's pretend it didn't happen. He's gonna make it right. And that's what Peter's trying to say. It's coming. Hold fast, you who are under the weight of doing it God's way and it not going well. And be cautious, you who are doing it your way and it's going swimmingly. God is not blind to your lusts and desires and ignorance of authority and doing it your way and being your own king. This is not going to go well. That's where we've been at. And Peter picked some stories out of the Old Testament to kind of color in this point that God will rescue and is rescuing and is for and with those who are doing it his way. And God is going to bring justice to those who are doing it their way. That's gonna happen. Let me show you, Peter says. And he shares three stories. A story of some angels in Genesis 6 that come down, hang out with some human ladies, have some children, and they turn into giants. <laughs> if you're like, what? I missed that week. Go back and listen. It sounds as weird as it is, but... God shows us incredible things through a gospel lens. And then the second story last week we traveled through uh, where God looks at the whole earth and all the humans uh, are not doing well. The evil of our humanity and sin in it has shown itself and he floods the whole earth and wipes out the human race, but for Noah, who was awesome, seemingly. And, and you're like, wow, another weird story. Go podcast last week. And now he walks into a third story. And this third story deals with uh, the local 
environment in which we live. He did the cosmos. The angels do not escape my sovereignty. The angels do not escape the reality of me bringing justice to injustice. The angels cannot stand against me. Trust me when I tell you there's nothing in all of creation that escapes my bringing justice to injustice. And then he's like, the human race globally, like the collective doesn't, you don't get lost in it. Like, oh, maybe he won't see me. The whole globe is under his sovereignty and his justice. And now he's down to the cities. There's these two places called Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the Old Testament, the story unfolds and it doesn't go well for these two cities because the, the people are, are not nice people in these cities. And so, so um, Peter uses this story of, of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah to describe and color in this idea that God can and will and has and does rescue those who he has as his own. That if you are a person belonging to God and no matter what circumstance might feel weighty, he is, he will, he does, he has rescued you and he's perfectly capable of that. He's trying to make that point. And so he uses this story. And in the story, here's how he describes it. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. <clears throat> and we're gonna be in chapter two in verse six. 2 Peter chapter two, verse six. And this is what it says, third story unfolding. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust and defiling passions and despise authority. So what it seems to be unpacking for us in our cultural understanding of where we're at is that there were two cities and the people were ungodly and bad, and God came to judge those cities. And in those cities lived a righteous man. His name was Lot. And he was grieved by these wicked realities. And God saw that and God came. And before he wiped out the cities, he took Lot and he saved him from what the judgment would be on the cities. And then he wiped out the cities. So if you're ungodly, whoo, buckle up. And if you want to be saved, be godly. That's what it feels like, right? And the reason we're gonna take some time to step into the story is twofold. Uh, because one, if you went and read the story in Genesis, you would be very confused by what Peter just wrote because Lot does not seem so nice. And it gets really weird. So we should probably go deal with that so that you don't go read it at home this week and go, what just happened? And two, because an opportunity is afforded us whenever we are in spaces like this where a New Testament author is bringing old stories from the Old Testament into being within a context of what he's writing, and here's why. 
because the Old Testament, when it is read outside of the gospel lens, outside of the lens of who Jesus is and what Jesus did and who we are because of Jesus, then the stories make no sense. They are weird and strange and uh, you experience them in a way that makes God seem like what we've said before, a Greek or Roman God who gets a little mad every time we misbehave and then wants to lightning strike us to death and some nice human comes and goes, please don't do that. And God goes, all right, I'll let it go this time, but next time. That's what it feels like. But as soon as we put the lens of Jesus and what God has been up to all along over the Old Testament, and we see what each of these stories was actually saying and showing that was important for us to understand God's character and nature and love and grace and mercy and power and sovereignty. Then we go, wow, that's the story. Wow, that's what he was saying. And we do not want to miss that opportunity. So we're going to dive back into Genesis and see what unfolds. Now, this story begins in sort of a strange place if you want to do the whole story. And assuming that you guys are going to go back and read the whole story, let's deal with the whole story and watch what we discover about the lens of the gospel. By the way, before we read the story, do you remember Peter wrote a first letter before he wrote a second one? Makes sense, doesn't it? And in that first letter, remember that he said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10, 11, and 12, that the prophets who shared the stories of God and the people who wrote the Old Testament, they longed to understand what these things were about and what they were saying about the one who would come. But they realized that they were not, the stories were not for them. They were for us to understand Jesus. And even the angels longed to look in. But now that we have the gospel, we see everything that unfolded and we see it as it was meant to be, not as we might have understood it without Jesus. Now, Peter, that same person who said that, aren't you thrilled that you have a gospel lens to look through now and understand what could not have been understood before? Yes, I am. So let's go look is what Peter's saying. And let's take a look at what happens. So in chapter 18 of the book of Genesis, God, uh, there is an outcry about the expressed evil that is unfolding in these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, we've just come out of where the whole human race is clearly infected by sin, which leads to death, by wickedness and evil. And so this is just a mini expression of where it's showing its ugly head in a profoundly terrible way. It is, again, the inevitable journey of the human race to end up more and more corrupted without the intervention of God on our behalf. And so Sodom and Gomorrah is just like, oh, look, here it goes again. And there is this outcry. Now, we don't know where the outcry comes from. We don't know if it's from someone or just that whenever injustice happens, just know that there is an outcry to God from justice to say, make it right. And God basically says, there is an injustice occurring. I'm going to go and examine it. And if it is what it seems, then I'm going to make it right. And that's not going to go well. That's the experience you get here. Now, did God know what was going on? Has God ever not known anything? So remember, in the Old Testament, we're dealing with a dynamic where God is showing us things about himself. And so he says to Abraham, I'm going to go check this out. And if it is what it is, then we're going to wipe those cities out. And then this is what happens in Genesis chapter 18, verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked. 
Suppose that there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked. So that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it, that, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? <laughs> I love when a human being rolls up beside God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. And it's like, can we have a chat? Are you really gonna be this mean and unjust? You, you don't seem unjust to me. Are you gonna go burn the cities and kill all the good people with the bad people? See, we have categories, don't we? We have categories of what makes somebody like worthy of, you know, fire and brimstone and what makes somebody not so worthy. So we have categories like serial killer. Oh, judge them. Yeah, if the city's full of serial killers, wipe it out. Uh, gossips. Uh, can we chat? Right? Because like, I, I, I gossip. That's not like serial killing. And then we have categories all in between. Like, where, where does it land where you're like, decent person, half decent person, kind of decent person, not decent person, horrid person, kill them. Like, I mean, we just have all these things, right? And so Abraham's coming and saying, okay, there's a city and it's got a lot of bad people in it. We know that. And they're behaving very badly. But, but you're, gonna, you're just going to wipe them out? What about the good people? He's going to wipe them out with that. And then this whole interaction takes place where God's like, no, that's a fair question. And then he's like, oh, what what about this? What's going on here? Is is this a a little argument? Because what I thought would happen is that right after Abraham said that to God, God went, you no longer exist. (laughs) That's what I would have done. So you all can be super glad I'm not God. Because that's how it would go down with human interactions like this. That's it. You know what? You talk to the wrong man in the wrong tone. (laughs) But that's not what God says. God says, you're right, Abraham. I'm not going to do that. So in fact, I'll take it a step further. See, Abraham's saying, you're not going to wipe out the 50 good people with all the bad people, right? Can we do something about that? And here's what God says. It's better than that, Abraham. You find me 50 good people in that city and I'll spare how much of the city? All of it for the sake of those good people. So it's not just that I'll save them from the bad people. I'll save the whole thing. Find me 50. And that's when Abraham starts going, let's just suggest, and you can read it. It's literally right there. Let's suggest that five of the 50 good people aren't that good. He literally, like he he doesn't even divorce them down to 45. He's like, there's 50 good people, but five of them aren't like that good. Can we still count the 50? And God's like, just find me 45. We don't even have to compromise with the five. Find me 45. And then Abraham's like, and that's just, I'm, I don't want to overstep. He literally, I don't want to overstep my place. <laughs> you do what you want. But let's just say I could only find 30. Are we still good? And God's like, yeah, find me 30. Same deal. Um, on the off chance, I'm just saying it's Sodom and Gomorrah that we're, we're down to like 10. 10? Sure, find me 10. What is going on here? I'll tell you what's going on here. It's, it's beautiful. God did this throughout the Old Testament. He did it in the New Testament. He still does it today. He invites us as his children to come and experience his nature and character through exploration. 
I, I did this with my kids when, when they were little a lot. Uh, when, my, when, when my kids were little, uh, I was playing with them or putting them to, the bed, to bed, whatever, and I, and I would say to my kids, um, man, uh, do, do, do I love you? And what would my kids say? They weren't teenagers yet, so what, what would they say? Yes, yes, of, of course, of course you do. And then I would say to them, that's <clears throat> good, but, but what if I don't? What if I don't love you? And then they would sit and ponder for a second. And then they would go, ah, no, no, but you do love me. And then I would say, I hear you, but what if it actually isn't true? What if I actually don't love you? But you do love me. Ah, but maybe I don't love you. But that's not possible. You definitely love me. And then I'd go, are you sure about that? And they'd go, yes, I am. And I'd say, how do you know? And then they would go, uh, okay. And then they'd start listening. Well, you do this and you do this and this and this. And then I would go, I mean, you got me. <laughs> you got me. I, I love you. And then I would say, man, I... I love you a great deal. You see what I did as a parent? Was there any point in that conversation where I was actually like, maybe I don't? No, I, was, I was leading this child of mine to have to press into the question more deeply. Is this really the character and nature of God? Is this really who he is? Could he really do this? Does he really love me? Is he really merciful? So God goes, I'm gonna take the city and if it is what it says it is, and he already knows it is, I'm gonna wipe. Uh, are you, are, would you just wipe out the, the, the good with the bad? No, no, you're right, Abraham. I, I, I wouldn't do that. What about 10? No, 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 you're right. And here's the crazy part. Just, just mark this as a little marker as we approach the end of the message. I'm giving it to you a little early. Where God is going to go is Abraham stops at 10. I think he's just wise. He's like, I went from 50 to 10. He's still good. I'm not pushing to one, right? Because if I go, what about one? God's going to go, that's it. That's it. He doesn't even go to one, but what has God been showing us all along through the flood with Abraham, uh, with, uh, with Moses? <laughs> Abraham, Moses, try again, Renaud, Noah. Noah, okay, with Noah, what has he shown us? You give me how many righteous and I'll save them all? One. one. And was Noah even righteous? No. no, so he's like, I will, I, will, I will do it for one, but there isn't one. So in the meantime, I'll preserve until I can find one and I never will. So I will become the righteous one. But what God is going to show us through the gospel later that Abraham couldn't have fathomed at this point is that if Abraham thought God's love extended to the point that he would take 10 and save a whole city that was wicked or one, God's love goes further than that because what God is gonna show us is not only will I not destroy the wicked if I find one righteous, but I will destroy the righteous one to save the wicked. He is going to become the righteous one. Then he's going to destroy himself, if you will. Take on sin and death. Take on wrath. Take on judgment. Take the full wrath of all things so he can save those who deserve wrath. It's like me saying to my kids, I do love you. And the five-year-old's like, good. But they have no idea how deep that love runs. What he's showing us here is, man, listen, you find me one righteous, I'll save the whole city. So it uh, turns out Abraham couldn't find 10 righteous people. So Peter told us, how many did he find? One, except, except the one he found is weird. <clears throat> What's weird about it is that he would be called righteous. And what God is showing us here is actually even more profound. 
than what he just showed us in chapter 18 because this becomes about us and our righteousness and what we bring to the table. And he's gonna show us his capacity to rescue you and I despite the complicated nature of what we call our righteousness. What's happening here is he's grading on a scale because you will find out Lot is anything but righteous. So here's what goes down in the story. This is how the whole thing goes down. And remember context, is God capable of rescuing you and I despite ourselves? Absolutely. How do you know? Did he not rescue Lot? (laughs) So here's how the story goes. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but we'll read parts of it. So Lot is sitting by the gates of the city. Lot lives in Sodom and Gomorrah, problem number one. He chose to live in Sodom and Gomorrah because when given the opportunity to live outside in the wilderness and trust God for his provision like Abraham did, uh, he said, "Uh, that's scary. I'm gonna die out there. I need to go in the city where I have everything available to me that I need. He did not trust God. So he went and lived in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and he was impacted and influenced by the nature and horror of the wickedness in these cities. So now he's aware of how bad it is, right? And how do we know he's aware of how bad it is? Well, the story tells us. He's sitting by the gate. That's how the story starts in chapter 19 of Genesis. He's sitting by the gate and these two men come to the gate and he recognizes that they are not human. They are angelic. So they show up, two angels show up and he immediately gets up. You can read it. And he's like, hey guys, (laughs) welcome to Sodom. (laughs) And then he's like, why don't you come stay at my house? We'll go there immediately and you can stay there for the night. And then in the morning, first thing, I'll get you out of the city. Why would you tell someone that? Because then they're like, no, no, that's okay. We're going to go stay in the square for the night and see how it goes. Oh, no, 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 definitely my house. (laughs) Why would you do that? Because you're aware of how nice and kind your city is. No. There are places in Orlando, right? If, if, if a tourist was here and they're like, hey, I'm thinking tonight we're gonna go find a nice restaurant in and you can fill in a name and then you would go, that's a wonderful area. You should go there. And then there's other names they would say, oh, on this street, and you'd be like, after what time? After dark, don't go there. Because you're aware like, oh, someone just said anytime. Don't, don't ever go to some of those. Yeah, why? Because they're dangerous because people there, they, they do harmful things to you. So Lot, these angels show up and he's like, come stay at my house. Don't go in the city. Don't stay in the square. You don't know the city. I wonder if Lot had some awareness even of like these two are coming to check things out. And he's like, I want to kind of keep the wickedness from its full visibility to you because I don't want you to get all bent out of shape and I want to protect you. So he, they go to his, la- his house for, for, for a meal. It's, it's, it's in chapter 19. And here's what happens at that meal while the meal's going on. And this now begins to reveal. When we say, man, there were wicked people in the city. (sighs) You think serial killer is bad? You think those are the big categories we have? Watch how this goes down. Watch how this goes down. This is what it says. But before they lay down, so this is that night, the two guys are at Lot's house. It's Lot, his wife, and and two of his daughters, and these two guys. But before they lay down, the men of the city the men of Sodom, listen now, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. So how many of the people in Sodom surrounded the house? How many of the men? Old? Young? In between? All of them. All of the people. What, what, What the point of this scripture is, there was not one that went, I ain't doing this. 
This is crazy. I want no part of this. They all showed up in front of Lot's house. And do you know what they wanted? You don't, perhaps, so allow me the pleasure of reading it to you. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we might know them. By the way, that's not like, oh, they want to be friends. That is the Bible's version of a PG-13 statement when R-rated things are about to happen. So that we might know them. These were angels. And now you've got that whole reversal of insanity where the angels came down and mixed with the woman. And now the, the, the men and people in the city want to take the angels and do to them whatever they see fit. Are you uncomfortable yet? Like you're like, boy, this city is insane. It's a, and we haven't even touched it yet. Just buckle on up. Because what happens next gets even worse. So these men are, are bursting on the door and they want in. And Lot, <laughs> righteous Lot, righteous and sweet Lot. He tries to save the angels by doing this. And you're about to see how complicated our righteousness is. The versions of righteousness we bring to the Lord. Here's my righteousness. Here's how complicated they are. And they called out to Lot, where are these men? Bring them out so we can know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him. So the angels are in there. He's, the, he's like, hi, everybody. Um, and he said this, I beg you, my brothers. I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. So there's his righteousness. Do you see it? Like he's like trying to like manage like their wickedness and the angels inside and they're going to do damage to the angels and then the angels are going to tell God and then this judgment. I'll, I'll say, shut the door. Don't tell them. Please, just tonight, don't do it. Sweet, isn't it? Here's his solution. Here's how he's going to like, I'll tell you what, I have, a, I have a better idea for you. Leave the angels in my house. Here's what I'll do for you. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. I, I really don't know what to do with that. Every time I read it, I think I can read it one more time and not get all like bent up inside. What kind of a man? What kind of a man does that? I have daughters. What kind of a man steps outside of a house? And this is his big conclusion. This is his big act of righteousness. I want to protect the angels. Take my girls. And do to them whatever you wish. They haven't been with anyone yet. It's even better. God, it's sickening. The second we think our righteousness is enough, we should remember what Peter said. He saved Lot because Lot had a version of unrighteous righteousness. How capable is he of saving you? He did not save Lot because Lot was righteous. Lot was being graded on a scale. If that's Lot's righteousness, that he at least had the wherewithal not to join in with the men to take the angels down, 
If that's the level at which you're like, well, we have one that's kind of righteous. How dark do you think the rest of Sodom and Gomorrah was? If that's the comparison, Lot was kind of righteous. He, all he would do is give his daughters away, but he'd save the angels. Listen, when it comes to what Peter's trying to do, he's trying to say this. Look deeply within yourself. There is nothing you're bringing to the table that solicits God's mercy or solicits God's grace or solicits God's goodness towards you. You deserve what every person in Sodom and Gomorrah does and so does Lot. But we have a God who is merciful beyond anything we can fathom and he saves this man. Oh, but how does this go down? So we've got Lot prepared to give his daughters away. Thank God, God is merciful. And so this is what happens. The guys, instead of going, sure, we'll take the girls. This is how wicked they are. This is how wicked they are. They're like, ah, oh, ah, oh, so you come in our city lot and you're a visitor here and we let you hang out with us. And then we simply come and tell you, we want the two men that are in your house and you judge us. You say we're wicked. You know what? Forget it. We'll take the men. We'll take your daughters. We'll take your wife and we'll take you. That's what they say. We'll just take the whole house. You don't get to decide for us who we get to have and not have. This is our city. We get whoever we want to get. That's how dark this gets. So now Lot doesn't know what to do. And he's like, ah, and it's beautiful. It says the angels opened the door and pulled Lot back in. <laughs> Shut the door. <laughs> so now you're like, oh, the angels are like in this. I, I, I can't wait to have a conversation with these two guys, these two angels someday when I leave the planet. I'm like, just tell me how, what, were you guys like giggling in the house? at like the irony of all this. So they grab Lot and they pull him and they shut the door. How many of the people of Sodom are outside the door? All of them. So now they're gonna bang the door down. So they start shoving and banging the door down. The, the people in the house have no chance, except for who's in the house? Angels. angels. So note to self, don't mess with angels. So it says, the angels just hold the door. And since the people are still trying to get in, you know what the angels do? You can read it. They blind all the people outside the door. I just blind them. <laughs> Have you ever had an experience where you can see and then the next second you're totally blind? Does that shock you a bit? If you're like, I've never had that experience, do you think it would shock you? No. Do you think you might if you're like after some night with these two guys or the daughters and suddenly you're like, I can't see. I can, can you see? I can't see. Can anybody see? We're all blind. What might you think to do? Go home. <laughs> Go home, because your logical brain should either tell you, one, it's not worth it anymore, this is bad, and two, whoever did this to us is inside that house. Do you really want to go in there? Do you know what these folks do? It says it in this passage. For the rest of the night, they claw at the doors to get in blind. Can you imagine the level of what sin has done to a human? When blind, they're like, get me in there. I want to take these people and do with them as I see fit. <sighs> we should be shocked. That's the point. Now, here's what goes down. And this is where it gets extraordinary as it relates to the mercy and grace of God. Lot is in the house. So the angels say to him, listen, buddy, as you can tell, this is not going to go well. And so God in the morning is going to affect justice on this injustice. These cities are going away. You should get out. And before you get out, go tell your other daughters who are married to men in the city and your sons-in-laws and their kids to come to your house quickly. And tonight we're going to get out of the city so that in the morning when God brings judgment on this city, 
that you are saved. Was Lot worthy of being saved? Are we abundantly clear on that? Oh, you think he wasn't worthy yet? Gets better. So Lot's like, okay. So he goes over to his other daughters and sons and tells them, we got to get out of the city tonight. God's coming in the morning and he's going to wipe the city out because of the wickedness and evil that's in the city. Clearly, they're still clawing at the door. And it says the daughters and sons-in-laws were like, nah, you're kidding. So they didn't come, which just demonstrates the ongoing nature of the erosion of wickedness and sin. So Lot gets back to the house and he's like, they didn't come. And the angels are like, sorry to hear that, but we got to go. And we got to go now. So you, your wife, and your other two daughters, let's get out of the city. And literally, I'm not kidding, it's written down. I, just, you know, just read it for you because it's fun. And, and it, sa- it says this. Um, and they, uh, da, 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 da. judgment. Oh, here, here it is. Um, As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot verse 15 saying, up, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. And this is the next verse, but he lingered. What kind of an idiot is this man? Like, really? I'm like, the angels literally made everyone blind, saved Lot and his family from the horror of the city, told them to go. The other kids wouldn't listen. And now the angels are saying, we really have to go. Like, we're angels. Don't you get it? And Lot's like, I'm going to linger for a bit. So here's what happens next. The mercy of God. It literally says this. The angels took Lot, his wife, and his daughters by the hand and put them outside the city. Let's put them outside the city. They may have walked, but I don't think so. I think it's a Star Trek moment. Like, legit. It just says, the angels were like, all right, that's it. Brick, 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 ping. How did we get here? You were lingering. <laughs> Here's what's beautiful about that. God was telling a story that Peter would write about that relates to Jesus' capacity to rescue us. And there was no way Lot in his undeserved, unrighteous, horrid state wasn't going to be saved that day. He could linger, he could dawdle, he could, he could not want to come. He, and God was like, okay, enough. Ding, ding, ping, ding. Okay, and then the angels say to Lot, listen to this, run away quickly. And you know what Lot does? Read it. Um, that's the wilderness, and I'm not sure that God's going to be able to provide out there for me. I'm scared. Can I go to the other little town? Legitimately, that's what he does. And the angels are like, go (laughs) to the other town. This man is a beautiful example to us of our own righteousness, isn't he? When we come with our unrighteousness, I think we're pretty clear. Like, oh, that's not good. But we come with our righteousness. We're like, look, I've got some. And what the story reminds us of is, yeah, Lot had some too. How'd that feel to you? Your righteousness and mine, when we bring it to God, are like dirty rags is the way the scriptures put it. It's a nothing, it's unrighteousness. What we need is one who is righteous so that God will have mercy on the city, us. And what God's gonna do is not simply make himself righteous and then say, Okay, there's a righteous one now, say the city. Like I said when we started this a little earlier, he's going to take the righteous one and pour all of his justice and wrath and judgment on sin onto that one by taking sin off us onto him. And then 
pouring his wrath on sin. Not on Jesus, on sin, but Jesus held sin and would die with it, except that he was the one capable of resurrecting out of death. And so Peter says, remember the story of Lot? Remember that one? You remember how evil Sodom and Gomorrah was? Judgment, did it come to them? Did they get away with it? No, God is locally present as much as he's cosmically present. But was God a God of angry wrath because he was ticked off at the behaviors of mankind? No. Is he the kind of God that said, there's some wicked people in the city, wipe them all out. He is a God that says this, show me one and I'll save all. In fact, you're not gonna find them. So I'll just save a half-righteous person that's not righteous at all, not because they deserve saving, but because I'm telling a story about one to come who will be fully righteous and save you all. And then Peter says, so considering the story of Lot and God's capacity to rescue that fool, how much more do you think God is capable of rescuing you in your foolishness? So for those of us here, that know Jesus, uh, but uh, spend a great deal of our life or a part of our life not doing it his way. Oh, we, we, we've got him in our back pocket. We're going to get to heaven because we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. But, you know, business calls, family calls, my own stuff calls. I'm going to do it my way. Those of us that do that, and we've all been there, and some of us are there and will be there again, all Peter is saying is, you know, he's like right here in the city, right? Like it doesn't go well for you, but it's going well right now. But sin always brings about bondage and death. It will for you. Thank goodness your eternal life is secure because of the mercy of God, but don't live nearsighted and blind. Wake up! Your good king has given you a way to live. Trust him. And for those of us who are here that feel the weight of what it is to follow Jesus, we're following him, doing it his way, and things haven't gone well because of it. Here's what he's saying to you. I know it's hard. I know it seems like I'm absent. I know it seems like I'm not rescuing you from this injustice. But have I ever left an injustice to linger into eternity? Ever? I never will. I will rescue you. Hold fast and trust me. You are right where you need to be because you're with me. And then there's this third category. Those of us here that are following Jesus and we want to do what's right, but we struggle like, not me, I don't, I don't struggle with doing what's right. I do it right every day. Um, but you guys, you guys out there that struggle with not doing right. Last night, my wife and I were at home. Uh, you know, we've been doing pretty well lately. <laughs> Yay for an own brook. Um, and, uh, but we still trigger each other, you know, sometimes, a couple times a, a day. And um, so yesterday was sort of a triggering day. You know, she'd say things that would irritate me. I'd say things that would irritate her. And so we get to the evening and we're having this conversation to try to sort through the irritations of the day. And that, that didn't go super well either. We probably should have waited till today. And so we're having this conversation and I'm like expressing some of my stuff in as gentle and kind a tone as I can. And Brooke says, uh, I'm like, it seems like what I'm saying is, is making things worse. And she's like, I just, I just don't feel like the, I, I'm sensing any compassion or kindness coming from you. And so I went on to explain to her how the compassion and kindness she's not feeling is not my fault, but, but, but hers. <laughs> because I'm certainly being compassionate and kind. I would highly recommend that you take that course of action in the future to explain why someone's not. So that didn't go super well either. 
And so here's what I'm saying. Those of us that are in these spaces where a, a night's not going super well a day, or you're doing all these secret things inside of you, or you're struggling, you want to follow Jesus, but you find yourself doing not so righteous things. Here's what this passage reminds you of. I was able to rescue Lot. Have you given your daughters away to a group of men to do with them whatever they see fit? No? We're good. Like if I could rescue him, am I enough for you? Am I enough for your failures? Am I enough for your struggles? Am I enough for your brokenness? If you are fumbling today, am I still enough for you? Are you still my righteous child? Yes, 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 yes. Now does that mean we should just go do whatever the heck we want? And he's like, no, remember, that doesn't go well. And I want what's well for you, so do it my way. But when you struggle to do it my way, do not hold yourself under condemnation because I don't. I rescued Lot. I've rescued you. You are mine. Trust me. Just come confess and say, oops, I'm really sorry about that. That was silly. And I'll go, it's okay. Let's keep going. Follow me. And so Peter says, trust Jesus. Follow him. Do it his way. That's life and freedom because he's perfectly capable of rescuing you for whatever consequences doing it his way would bring. He's perfectly capable of rescuing when you fumble doing it his way and you can't quite get it right. And if you're directly choosing it not to do his way, justice is coming. Don't be a fool. Wake up. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, and you're like, I don't need Jesus. That's silly. It's like a religious thing. Here's what Peter's saying. The only answer to all of this is Jesus. Your righteousness, you can bring it. And when you die, you're like, oh, so was decent. Yeah, so is Lot. Your righteousness gets you nowhere. Your best gets you nowhere. Your righteousness and mine is complicated because it's an unrighteous righteousness. You need Jesus. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I beg you, start getting to know who this Jesus is. And then you can make a decision about him, but get to know it because you need Jesus. I need Jesus and without him, we're dead. Our best is terrible. His best is perfect. And he's capable of rescuing you just as he has rescued me. So come to know Jesus. You need him. With all that said, he closes out by saying this, be most careful when the things that drive you are lust and a lack of authority or desire for authority. Those are the two things that drive all of us, aren't they? Lust is that, what you, that thing you want. I want it. And lack of authority is I am my own God, my own king and my own person. I will believe me and do what I think is best. And I'm gonna do what I think I want. That doesn't sound anything like our culture. Beware. Don't trust yourself. Trust God. Live under his authority because his authority is safety, not restriction. And his restrictions are good for us, not bad. Follow him. This is what Peter is writing in his last days to us. Let's pray. God, I have no idea why you rescued Lot. I, mean, I really don't. I would have wiped him off the face of the earth the second he said, take my girls. But then again, I have no idea why you rescued me. 
And I have no idea why you rescued any of us because left to ourselves without your intervention, all of us at first become Lot and eventually become Sodom. And yet, you have rescued us as you did Lot, as you would have that city. Thank you for the stories that you had unfolded in the Old Testament, the flood story, Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels, real events that took place, things that happened that you were doing that beautiful fatherly thing to us through your word. You want to know how much I love you? Test my character. Beg the questions you need to beg. And then you bothered to write them down so that'd be even weird for us. You let the conversation with Abraham be written down in scripture. You let the conversations with Moses be written down in scripture. You let the conversations you've had with people that I would have been like, oh my gosh, are you crazy? Don't talk to God like that. You let them happen just as you let us talk with you and wrestle with you because we struggle when we see the circumstances of our day and we think, where are you? What are you doing? This isn't fair. And thank you for being the God that says, does seem that way, doesn't it? Let's talk about that. Let's wrestle through that. Nope, you're right. I'm not that kind of God. Nope, you're right. I wouldn't do that. So what do you think's going down here? Thank you that this story, you worked and worked and worked to where Abraham was comfortable. 10, I'll find 10. And you showed him, oh, you're bigger than that. You'll find one. And then when you can't find one, you'll become the one. And then when you become the one, you will punish yourself with the wrath that sin deserves so that you can save us. God, help us to be a people that see that each day so that our response to your goodness in saving us would be as Paul wrote in the book of Romans. If while you were still his enemies when he died for you, how much more now that you are reconciled with him will he not save you every day? God, help us to be a people that trust that your way is a good way because you've already saved us from a terrible thing when we hated you. Now you will show us a good way. Teach us and empower us to be a people that trust you, that follow you, and that do it your way, not because we have to, but because we're not idiots and we see you and your goodness and we want to because there is no better way. Take us there, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.